0: Chapter 12 of A Book of Giants. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Christine Rocker, January 27, 2022, Westford, Massachusetts. A Book of Giants by Henry Weisham Lanier. Chapter 12, The Adventures of Yvain. Yvain was one of King Arthur's knights, and strange were his adventures. After defeating a mysterious knight in the forest and chasing his dying adversary into his town, he found himself in sad enough case, through the fact that no sooner had he looked on the face of the lady of the slain man than he found himself smitten with a mortal wound of love. Through the aid of the lady's damsel, he won the hand of this beautiful creature. Then, persuaded by Gawain and his old comrades, he left his wife in town for more deeds of knight-errantry, promising to return on a certain day. But success showered her favors so thick upon him that he forgot his promise and overstayed the allotted time, and his bride sent to him a scornful message, returning his ring and bidding him send back her own, whereupon the triumphant Yvain, utterly cast down, wandered forth he knew not where. Senseless and deprived of speech, Yvain was unable to reply, and the damsel steps forth and takes the ring from his finger, commending to God the king and all the others except him, whom she leaves in deep distress and his sorrow grows on him, he feels oppressed by what he hears and is tormented by what he sees. He would rather be banished alone in some wild land where no man or woman would know of his whereabouts any more than if he were in some deep abyss. He hates nothing so much as he hates himself nor does he know to whom to go for comfort in the death he has brought upon himself. But he would rather go insane than not take vengeance upon himself, deprived as he is of joy through his own fault. He rises from his place among the knights, fearing he will lose his mind if he stays longer in their midst. On their part, they pay no heed to him, but let him take his departure alone. They know well enough that he cares nothing for their talk or their society, and he goes away until he is far from the tents and pavilions. Then, such a storm broke loose in his brain that he loses his senses, He tears his flesh, and stripping off his clothes, he flees across the meadows and fields, leaving his men quite at a loss, and wondering what has become of him. They go in search of him through all the country around, in the lodgings of the knights, by the hedgerows, and in the gardens, but they seek him where he is not to be found. Still fleeing, he rapidly pursued his way until he met close by a park a lad who had in his hand a bow and five barbed arrows, which were very sharp and broad. He had sense enough to go and take the bow and arrows which he held. However, he had no recollection of anything that he had done. He lies in wait for the beasts in the woods, killing them, and then eating the venison raw. Thus he dwelt in the forest, like a madman or a savage, until he came upon a little low lying house belonging to a hermit, who was at work clearing his ground. When he saw him coming with nothing on, he could easily perceive that he was not in his right mind, and such was the case, as the hermit very well knew. So in fear he shut himself up in his little house, and taking some bread and fresh water, he charitably set it outside the house on a narrow window ledge. And thither the other comes, hungry for the bread which he takes and eats. I do not believe that he ever before had tasted such hard and bitter bread. The measure of barley kneaded with straw, of which the bread, sourer than yeast, was made, had not cost more than five sous, and the bread was musty and as dry as bark. But hunger torments and whets his appetite, so that the bread tasted to him like sauce. For hunger is itself a well-mixed and concocted sauce for any food. My lord Yvain soon ate the hermit's bread, which tasted good to him, and drank the cool water from the jar. When he had eaten, he betook himself again to the woods in search of stags and does. And when he sees him going away, the good man beneath his roof prays God to defend him and guard him, lest he ever pass that way again. But there is no creature with howsoever little sense that will not gladly return to a place where he is kindly treated. So not a day passed while he was in this mad fit that he did not bring to his door some wild game. Such was the life he led, and the good man took it upon himself to remove the skin and set a good quantity of the venison to cook. And the bread and the water in the jug was always standing on the window ledge for the madman to make a meal. Thus he had something to eat and drink venison without salt or pepper, and good, cool water from the spring. And the good man exerted himself to sell the hide and buy bread made of barley or oats or of some other grain. So after that, Yvain had a plentiful supply of bread and venison, which sufficed him for a long time. Until one day he was found asleep in the forest by two damsels and their mistress, in whose service they were. When they saw the naked man, one of the three ran and dismounted and examined him closely before she saw anything about him which would serve to identify him. If he had only been richly attired, as he had been many a time, and if she could have seen him then, she would have known him quickly enough. But she was slow to recognize him, and continued to look at him, until at last she noticed a scar which he had on his face, and she recollected that my lord Yvain's face was scarred in the same way. She was sure of it, for she had often seen it. Because of the scar, she saw that it was he beyond any doubt. But she marveled greatly how it came about that she found him thus poor and stripped. Often she crosses herself in amazement, but she does not touch him or wake him up. Rather does she mount her horse again, and going back to the others, tells them tearfully of her adventure. I do not know if I ought to delay to tell you of the grief she showed, but thus she spoke weeping to her mistress. My lady, I have found Yvain, who has proved himself to be the best knight in the world and the most virtuous. I cannot imagine what sin has reduced the gentleman to such a plight. I think he must have had some misfortune, which causes him thus to demean himself. For one may lose his wits through grief, and anyone can see that he is not in his right mind. For it would surely never be like him to conduct himself thus indecently, unless he had lost his mind." Would that God had restored him to the best sense he ever had, and would that he might then consent to render assistance to your cause. For Count Alier, who is at war with you, has made upon you a fierce attack. I should see the strife between you two quickly settled in your favor, if God favored your fortunes, so that Yvain could return to his senses and undertake to aid you in this stress. To this the lady made reply, Take care now, for surely if he does not escape with God's help, I think we can clear his head of all the madness and insanity. But we must be on our way at once, for I recall a certain ointment with which Morgan the Wise presented me, saying there was no delirium of the head which it would not cure. Thereupon they go off at once toward the town, which was hard by, for it was not any more than a half a league of the kind they have in that country, and as compared with ours two of their leagues make one and four make two, and he remains sleeping all alone while the lady goes to fetch the ointment. The lady opens a case of hers, and taking out a box, gives to the damsel, and charges her not to be too prodigal in its use. She should rub only his temples with it, for there is no use of applying it elsewhere. She should anoint only his temples with it, and the remainder she should carefully keep, for there is nothing the matter with him except his brain. She sends him also a robe of spotted fur, a coat, and a mantle of scarlet silk. The damsel takes them and leads in her right hand an excellent palfrey, and she added to these of her own store a shirt, some soft hose, and some new drawers of proper cut. With all these things she quickly set out and found him still asleep where she had left him. After putting her horse in an enclosure where she tied him fast, she came with the clothes and the ointment to the place where he was asleep. Then she made so bold as to approach the madman so that she could touch and handle him. Taking the ointment, she rubbed him with it until none remained in the box being so solicitous for his recovery that she proceeded to anoint him all over with it, and she used it so freely that she heeded not the warning of her mistress, nor indeed did she remember it. She put more on than was needed, but in her opinion it was well employed. She rubbed his temples and forehead and his whole body down to the ankles, She rubbed his temples and his whole body so much there in the hot sunshine that the madness and the depressing gloom passed completely out of his brain. She was foolish to anoint his body, for of that there was no need. If she had had five measures of it, she would doubtless have done the same thing. She carries off the box and takes hidden refuge by her horse. But she leaves the robe behind, wishing that if God calls him back to life he may see it all laid out and may take it and put it on. She posts herself behind an oak tree until he had slept enough, and was cured and quite restored, having regained his wits and memory. Then he sees that he is as naked as ivory and feels much ashamed, but he would have been yet more ashamed had he known what had happened. As it is, he knows nothing but that he is naked. He sees the new robe lying before him and marvels greatly how and by what adventure it had come there. But he is ashamed and concerned because of his nakedness and says that he is dead and utterly undone if any one has come upon him there and recognized him. Meanwhile, he clothes himself and looks out into the forest to see if anyone is approaching. He tries to stand up and support himself, but cannot summon the strength to walk away, for his sickness has so affected him that he can scarcely stand upon his feet. Thereupon, the damsel resolves to wait no longer, but mounting, she passes close by him, as if unaware of his presence quite indifferent as to whence might come the help which he needed so much to lead him away to some lodging place where he might recruit his strength he calls out to her with all his might and the damsel for her part looks about her as if not knowing what the trouble is confused she goes hither and thither not wishing to go straight up to him then he begins to call again damsel come this way here and the damsel guided toward him her soft-stepping palfrey. By this ruse she made him think that she knew nothing of him and had never seen him before. In doing so she was wise and courteous. When she had come before him she said, Sir Knight, what so you desire that you call me so insistently? Ah, said he, prudent damsel, I have found myself in this wood by some mishap. I know not what... For God's sake and your belief in him, I pray you lend me, taking my word as a pledge, or else to give me outright, that palfrey you are leading in your hand. Gladly, sire, but you must accompany me whither I am going. Which way, says he, to a town that stands nearby, beyond the forest. Tell me, damsel, if you stand in need of me. Yes, she says, I do. But I think you are not very well. For the next two weeks at least you ought to rest. Take this horse, which I hold in my right hand, and we shall go to our lodging place. And he who had no other desire takes it and mounts, and they proceed until they come to a bridge over a swift and turbulent stream. And the damsel throws into the water the empty box she is carrying thinking to excuse herself to her mistress for her ointment by saying that she was so unlucky as to let the box fall into the water. For when her palfrey stumbled under her, the box slipped from her grasp, and she came near falling in too, which would have been still worse luck. It is her intention to invent this story when she comes into her mistress's presence. Together they held their way until they came to the town, where the lady detained my lord Yvain, and asked the damsel in private for her box and ointment, and the damsel repeated to her the lie as she had invented it, not daring to tell her the truth. Then the lady was greatly enraged and said, "'This is certainly a very serious loss, and I am sure and certain that the box will never be found again.' But since it has happened so, there is nothing more to be done about it. One often desires a blessing which turns out to be a curse. Thus I, who looked for a blessing and joy from this night, have lost the dearest and most precious of my possessions. However, I beg you to serve him in all respects. Ah, lady, how wisely now you speak! For it would be too bad to convert one misfortune into two. Then they say no more about the box, but minister in every way they can to the comfort of my lord Yvain, bathing him and washing his hair, having him shaved and clipped, for one could have taken up a fistful of hair upon his face. His every want is satisfied, if he asks for arms they are furnished him. If he wants a horse, they provide him with one that is large and handsome, strong and spirited. He stayed there until, upon a Tuesday, Count Alier came to the town with his men and knights, who started fires and took plunder. Those in the town at once rose up and equipped themselves with arms. Some armed and some unarmed, they issued forth to meet the plunderers, who did not deign to retreat before them, but awaited them in a narrow pass. My lord Yvain struck at the crowd. He had had so long a rest that his strength was quite restored, and he struck a knight upon his shield with such force that he sent down in a heap, I think, the knight together with his horse. The knight never rose again, for his backbone was broken, and his heart burst within his breast. My lord Yvain drew back a little to recover, then protecting himself completely with his shield, he spurred forward to clear the pass. One could not have counted up to four before one would have seen him cast down speedily four knights. Whereupon those who were with him waxed more brave, for many a man of poor and timid heart. The sight of some brave man who attacks a dangerous task before his eyes will be overwhelmed by confusion and shame, which will drive out the poor heart in his body and give him another light to the heroes for courage. So these men grew brave, and each stood his ground in the fight and attack. And the lady was up in the tower, whence she saw the fighting and the rush to win and gain possession of the pass. And she saw lying upon the ground many who were wounded and many killed, both of her own party and of the enemy, but more of the enemy than of her own. For my courteous, bold, and excellent Lord Yvain made them yield just as the falcon does the teal. And the men and women who had remained within the town declared as they watched the strife, Ah, what a valiant knight! How he makes his enemies yield, and how fierce is his attack! He slays about him as a lion among the fallow deer when he is impelled by the need and hunger. Then, too, all our other knights are more brave and daring because of him, For were it not for him alone, not a lance would have been splintered, nor a sword drawn to strike. When such an excellent man is found, he ought to be loved and dearly prized. See how he proves himself. See how he maintains his place. See how he stains with blood his lance and bare sword. See how he presses the enemy and follows them up how he comes boldly to attack then, then gives away and turns about, but he spends little time in giving away, and soon returns to the attack. See him in the fray again, how lightly he esteems his shield, which he allows to be cut in pieces mercilessly. Just see how keen he is to avenge the blows which are dealt at him. For if someone should use all the forest of Argonne to make lances for him, I guess he would have none left by night. For he breaks all the lances that they place in his socket and calls for more. And see how he wields the sword when he draws it. Roland never wrought such havoc with Durandal against the Turks at Rossinval or in Spain. If he had in his company some good companions like himself, the traitor whose attack we are suffering would retreat today discomfited, or would stand his ground only to find defeat. Then they say that the woman would be blessed who should be loved by one who is so powerful in arms, and who above all others may be recognized as a taper among candles, as a moon among the stars, and as the sun above the moon. He so won the hearts of all that the prowess which they see in him made them wish that he had taken their lady to wife, and that he were master of the land. Thus man and woman alike praised him, and in doing so they but told the truth. For his attack on his adversaries was such that they vie with one another in flight. But he presses hard upon their heels, and all his companions follow him for by his side they feel as safe as if they were enclosed in a high and thick stone wall. The pursuit continues until those who flee become exhausted, and the pursuers slash at them and disembowel their steeds. The living roll over upon the dead as they wound and kill each other. They work dreadful destruction upon each other, and meanwhile the count flees with my lord Yvain after him, until he comes up with him at the foot of a steep ascent, near the entrance of a strong place which belonged to the count. There the count was stopped, with no one near to lend him aid, and without any excessive parley, my lord Yvain received his surrender. For as soon as he held him in his hands, and they were left just man to man, there was no further possibility of escape, or of yielding, or of self-defense. So the count pledged his word to go to surrender to the lady of Norwasau as her prisoner, and to make such peace as she might dictate. And when he had accepted his word, he made him disarm his head, and remove the shield from about his neck, and the count surrendered to him his sword. Thus he won the honor of leading off the count as his prisoner, and of giving him over to his enemies, who make no secret of their joy. But the news was carried to the town before they themselves arrived. While all come forth to meet him, the lady herself leads the way. My lord Yvain holds his prisoner by the hand, and presents him to her, The Count gladly acceded to her wishes and demands, and secured her by his word, oath, and pledges. Giving her pledges, he swears to her that he will always live on peaceful terms with her, and will make good to her all the loss which she can prove, and will build up again the houses which he had destroyed. When these things were agreed upon, in accordance with the lady's wish, my lord Yvain asked leave to depart. But she would not have granted him this permission had he been willing to take her as his mistress or to marry her. But he would not allow himself to be followed or escorted a single step, but rather departed hastily. In this case, entreaty was of no avail. So he started out to retrace his path, leaving the lady much chagrined, whose joy he had caused a while before. When he will not tarry longer, she is the more distressed and ill at ease in proportion to the happiness he had brought to her. For she would have wished to honor him and would have made him with his consent lord of all her possessions, or else she would have paid him for his services whatever sum he might have named. But he would not heed any word of man or woman. Despite their grief, he left the knights and the lady, who vainly tried to detain him longer. Pensively, my lord Yvain proceeded through a deep wood until he heard among the trees a very loud and dismal cry, and he turned in the direction whence it seemed to come. And when he had arrived upon the spot, he saw in a cleared space a lion and a serpent which held him by the tail, burning his hindquarters with flames of fire. My lord Yvain did not gape at this strange spectacle, but took counsel with himself as to which of the two he should aid. Then he says that he will succor the lion, for a treacherous and venomous creature deserves to be harmed. Now the serpent is poisonous, and fire bursts forth from its mouth, so full of wickedness is the creature. So my lord Yvain decides that he will kill the serpent first. Drawing his sword, he steps forward, holding the shield before his face in order not to be harmed by the flame emerging from the creature's throat, which was larger than a pot. If the lion attacks him next, he too shall have all the fight that he wishes. But whatever may happen afterwards, he makes up his mind to help him now, for pity urges him, and makes request that he should bear succour and aid to the gentle and noble beast with his sword which cuts so clean he attacks the wicked serpent first cleaving him through to the earth and cutting him in two then continuing his blows until he reduces him to tiny bits but he had to cut off a piece of the lion's tail to get at the serpent's head which held the lion by the tail he cut off only so much as was necessary and unavoidable when he had set the lion free He supposed that he would have to fight with him, and the lion would come at him, but the lion was not minded so. Just hear now what the lion did. He acted nobly and as one well-bred, for he began to make it evident that he yielded himself to him by standing upon his two hind feet and bowing his face to the earth, with his forefeet joined and stretched out toward him. Then he fell on his knees again, and all his face was wet with the tears of humility. My lord Yvain knows for a truth that the lion is thanking him and doing him homage because of the serpent which he had killed, thereby delivering him from death. He was greatly pleased by this episode. He cleaned his sword of the serpent's poison and filth. Then he replaced it in its scabbard and resumed his way and the lion walks close by his side unwilling henceforth to part from him he will always in future accompany him eager to serve and protect him he goes ahead until he scents in the wind upon his way some wild beasts feeding then hunger and his nature prompt him to seek his prey and to secure his sustenance it is his nature to do so He started ahead a little on the trail, thus showing his master that he had come upon and detected the odor and scent of some wild game. Then he looks at him and halts, wishing to serve every wish and unwilling to proceed against his will. Yvain understands by his attitude that he is showing that he awaits his pleasure. He perceives this and understands that if he holds back, he will hold back too, and that if he follows him... He will seize the game which he has scented. Then he incites and cries to him, as he would do to hunting dogs. At once the lion directed his nose to the scent, which he had detected and by which he was not deceived, for he had not gone a bowshot when he saw in a valley a deer grazing all alone. This deer he will seize, if he has his way. And so he did, at the first spring, and then drank its blood still warm. When he had killed it, he laid it upon his back and carried it back to his master, who thereupon conceived a greater affection for him and chose him as a companion for all his life because of the great devotion he found in him. It was near nightfall now, and it seemed good to him to spend the night there and strip from the deer as much as he cared to eat. Beginning to carve it, he splits the skin along the rib, and taking a stake from the loin, he strikes from a flint a spark, which he catches in some dry brushwood. Then he quickly puts his steak upon the roasting spit to cook before the fire, and roasts it until it is quite cooked through. But there was no pleasure in the meal, for there was no bread, or wine, or salt, or knife, or anything else. While he was eating, the lion lay at his feet. Not a movement did he make, but watched him steadily until he had eaten all that he could eat of the steak. What remained of the deer the lion devoured, even to the bones. And while all night his master laid his head upon his shield to gain such rest as that afforded, the lion showed such intelligence that he kept awake and was careful to guard the horse as it fed upon the grass, which yielded some slight nourishment. In the morning they go off together, and the same sort of existence it seems as they had led that night they too continued to lead all the ensuing week until chance brought them to the spring beneath the pine tree there my lord Yvain almost lost his wits a second time as he approached the spring with its stone and chapel that stood close by so great was his distress that a thousand times he sighed alas and grieving fell into a swoon, and the point of his sharp sword, falling from its scabbard, pierced the meshes of his hauberk right in the neck beside the cheek. There is not a mesh that does not spread, and the sword cuts the flesh of his neck beneath the shining mail, so that it causes the blood to start. Then the lion thinks that he sees his master and companion dead, You never heard greater grief narrated or told about anything than he now began to show. Casts himself about and scratches and cries and has the wish to kill himself with the sword with which he thinks his master has killed himself. Taking the sword from his master with his teeth, he lays it on a fallen tree and steadies it on a trunk behind so that it will not slip or give way when he hurls his breast against it. His intention was nearly accomplished when his master recovered from his swoon, and the lion restrained himself as he was blindly rushing upon death, like a wild boar heedless of where he wounds himself. Thus my lord Yvain lies in a swoon beside the stone, but on recovering he violently reproached himself for the year during which he had overstayed his leave, and for which he had incurred his lady's hate. And he said, Why does this wretch not kill himself, who has thus deprived himself of joy? Alas, why do I not take my life? How can I stay here and look upon what belongs to my lady? Why does the soul still tarry in my body? What is the soul doing in so miserable a frame? If it had already escaped away, it would not be such torment. It is fitting to hate and blame and despise myself, even as in fact I do. Whoever loses his bliss and contentment through fault or error of his own ought to hate himself mortally. He ought to hate and kill himself. And now, when no one is looking on, why do I thus spare myself? Why do I not take my life? Have I not seen this lion a prey to such grief on my behalf that he was on the point just now of thrusting my sword through his breast? And ought I to fear death who have changed happiness into grief? Joy is now a stranger to me. Joy? What joy is that? I shall say no more of that, for no one could speak of such a thing, and I have asked a foolish question that was the greatest joy of all which was assured as my possession but it endured for but a little while whoever loses such joy through his own misdeed is undeserving of happiness then my lord Yvain departs and the lion as usual after him they journeyed until they came to a baron's fortified place which was completely surrounded by a massive strong and high wall The castle, being extraordinarily well-protected, feared no assault of catapult or storming machine, but outside the walls the ground was so completely cleared that not a single hut or dwelling remained standing. You will learn the cause of this a little later, when the time comes. My lord Yvain made his way directly toward the fortified place, and seven varlets came out who lowered the bridge and advanced to meet him. But they were terrified at the sight of the lion which they saw with him and asked him kindly to leave the lion at the gate lest he should wound or kill them and he replies say no more of that for i shall not enter without him either we both shall find shelter here or else i shall stay outside he is as dear to me as i am myself yet you need have no fear of him for i shall keep him so well in hand that you may be quite confident. They made answer, very well. Then they entered the town and passed on until they met knights and ladies and charming damsels coming down the street, who salute him and wait to remove his armor as they say, welcome to our midst, fair sire, and may God grant that you tarry here until you may leave with great honor and satisfaction high and low alike, extend to him a glad welcome, and do all they can for him, as they joyfully escort him into the town. But after they had expressed their gladness, they are overwhelmed by grief, which makes them quickly forget their joy, as they begin to lament and weep and beat themselves. Thus, for a long space of time, they cease not to rejoice or make lament. It is to honor their guest that they rejoice but their heart is not in what they do for they are greatly worried over an event which they expect to take place on the following day and they feel very sure and certain that it will come to pass before midday my lord Yvain was so surprised that they so often changed their mood and mingled grief with their happiness that he addressed the lord of the place on the subject for god's sake he said Fair gentle, sir, will you kindly inform me why you have thus honored me and shown at once such joy and such heaviness? Yes, if you desire to know, it would be better for you to desire ignorance and silence. I will never tell you willingly anything to cause you grief. Allow us to continue to lament, and do you pay no attention to what we do? It would be quite impossible for me to see you sad, and not take it upon my heart, so I desire to know the truth, whatever chagrin may result to me. Well then, he said, I will tell you all, I have suffered much from a giant, who has insisted that I should give him my daughter, who surpasses in beauty all the maidens in the world. This evil giant, whom may God confound, is named Harpin of the Mountain. Not a day passes without his taking all of my possessions upon which he can lay his hands. No one has better right than I to complain and to be sorrowful and to make lament. I might as well lose my senses from very grief. For I had six sons who were knights, fairer than any I knew in the world. And the giant has taken all six of them Before my eyes he killed two of them, and tomorrow he will kill the other four, unless I find someone who will dare to fight him for the deliverance of my sons, or unless I consent to surrender my daughter to him. That is the disaster which awaits me tomorrow, unless the Lord God grant me his aid. So it is no wonder, fair sir, if we are all in tears, But for your sake, we strive for the moment to assume as cheerful a countenance as we can. For he is a fool who attracts a gentleman to his presence, and then does not honor him, and you seem to be a very perfect gentleman. Now I have told you the entire story of our great distress. Neither in town nor in the fortress has the giant left us anything except what we have here. If you had noticed, you must have seen this evening that he has not left us so much as an egg, except these walls which are new, for he has raised the entire town. When he had plundered all he wished, he set fire to what remained. In this way he has done me many an evil turn. My Lord Yvain listened to all that his host told him, and when he had heard it all, he was pleased to answer him. "'Sire, I am sorry and distressed about this trouble of yours, "'but I marvel greatly that you have not asked assistance "'at good King Arthur's court. "'There is no man so mighty that he could not find at his court "'some who would be glad to try their strength with his. "'When the wealthy man reveals and explains to him "'that he would have had efficient help "'if he had known where to find my lord Gawain,' would not have failed me upon this occasion for my wife is his own sister but a knight from a strange land who went to court to seek the king's wife has led her away however he could not have gotten possession of her by any means of his own invention had it not been for Kay who so befooled the king that he gave the queen into his charge and placed her under his protection He was a fool, and she imprudent to entrust herself to his escort, and I am the one who suffers and loses in all this. For it is certain that my excellent Lord Gawain would have made haste to come here, had he known the facts, for the sake of his nephews and his niece. But he knows nothing of it, wherefore I am so distressed that my heart is almost breaking.' for he is gone in pursuit of him, to whom may God bring shame and woe for having led the queen away. While listening to this recital, my lord Yvain does not cease to sigh. Inspired by the pity which he feels, he makes this reply. Fair gentle sire, I would gladly undertake this perilous adventure if the giant and your sons should arrive tomorrow in time to cause me no delay. For tomorrow at noon I shall be somewhere else in accordance with the promise I have made. Once for all, fair sire, the good man said, I thank you a hundred thousand times for your willingness. And all the people of the house likewise expressed their gratitude. Just then the damsel came out of a room with her graceful body and her face so fair and pleasing to look upon. She was very simple and sad and quiet as she came, for there was no end to the grief she felt. She walked with her head bowed to the ground, and her mother too came in from an adjoining room, for the gentleman had sent for them to meet his guest. They entered with their mantles wrapped about them to conceal their tears, and he bid them throw back their mantles and hold up their heads, saying, you ought not to hesitate to obey my behests, for God and good fortune have given here a very well-born gentleman who assures me that he will fight against the giant. Delay no longer now to throw yourselves at his feet. May God never let me see that, my lord Yvain hastens to exclaim. Surely it would not be proper under any circumstances for the sister and the niece of my Lord Gawain to prostrate themselves at my feet. May God defend me from ever giving place to such pride as to let them fall at my feet. Indeed, I should never forget the shame which I should feel, but I should be very glad if they would take comfort until tomorrow when they may see whether God will consent to aid them. I have no other request to make except that the giant may come in such good time that I be not compelled to break my engagement elsewhere, for I would not fail for anything to be present tomorrow noon at the greatest business I could ever undertake. Thus he is unwilling to reassure them completely, for he has fears that the giant may not come early enough to allow him to reach in time the damsel who is imprisoned in the chapel. Nevertheless, he promises them enough to arouse good hope in them. They all alike join in thanking him, for they place great confidence in his prowess, and they think he must be a very good man when they see the lion by his side as confident as a lamb would be. They take comfort and rejoice because of the hope they stake on him, and they indulge their grief no more. When the time came, they led him off to bed in a brightly lighted room Both the damsel and her mother escorted him, for they prized him dearly, and would have done so a hundred thousand times more had they been informed of his prowess and courtesy. He and the lion together lay down there and took their rest. The others dared not sleep in the room, but they closed the door so tight that they could not come out until the next day at dawn. When the room was thrown open, he got up and heard mass. And then, because of the promise he had made, he waited until the hour of prime. Then, in the hearing of all, he summoned the lord of the town and said, My lord, I have no more time to wait, but must ask your permission to leave at once. I cannot tarry longer here, but believe truly that I would gladly and willingly stay here yet a while for the sake of the nephews and niece of my beloved lord Gawain if I did not have a great business on hand, and if it were not so far away. At this the damsel's blood quivered and boiled with fear, as well as the ladies and the lords. They were so afraid he would go away that they were on the point of humbling themselves and casting themselves at his feet when they recalled that he would not approve or permit their action. Then the lord makes him an offer of all he will take of his lands or wealth if only he will wait a little longer and he replied god forbid that i ever should take anything of yours then the damsel who is in dismay begins to weep aloud and beseeches him to stay like one distracted and a prey to dread she begs him by the glorious queen of heaven and the angels and by the lord not to go but to wait a little while, and then too for her uncle's sake, whom he says he knows and loves and esteems. Then his heart is touched with deep pity when he hears her adjuring him in the name of him whom he loves the most, and by the mistress of heaven, and by the Lord, who is the very honey and sweet savor of pity. Filled with anguish he heaved a sigh, For were the kingdom of Tarsus at stake, he would not see her burned, to whom he had pledged his aid. If he could not reach her in time, he would be unable to endure his life, or would live on without his wits. On the other hand, the kindness of his friend, my lord Gawain, only increased his distress. His heart almost bursts in half at the thought that he cannot delay. Nevertheless, he does not stir, but delays and waits so long that the giant came suddenly, bringing with him the knights, and hanging from his neck, he carried a big square stake with a pointed end, and with this he frequently spurred them on, for their part they had no clothing on that was worth a straw, except some soiled and filthy shirts and their feet and hands were bound with cords, as they came riding upon four limping jades, which were weak and thin and miserable. As they came riding along beside a wood, a dwarf, who was puffed up like a toad, had tied the horses' tails together and walked beside them, beating them remorselessly with a four-knotted scourge until they bled, thinking thereby to be doing something wonderful. Thus they were brought along in shame by the giant and the dwarf. Stopping in the plain in front of the city gate, the giant shouts out to the noble lord that he will kill his sons unless he delivers to him his daughter. The worthy man is well nigh beside himself. His agony is like that of one who would rather be dead than alive. Again and again he bemoans his fate and weeps aloud and sighs. Then my frank and gentle lord of thus began to speak to him. Sire, very vile and impudent is that giant who vaunts himself out there. But may God never grant that he should have your daughter in his power. He despises her and insults her openly. Give me now my arms and horse. Have the drawbridge lowered and let me pass. One or the other must be cast down, either I or he I know not which. If I could only humiliate the cruel wretch who is thus oppressing you, so that he would release your sons and should come and make amends for the insulting words he has spoken to you, then I would commend you to God and go about my business. Then they go to get his horse and hand over to him his arms, striving so expeditiously that they soon have him quite equipped. They delayed as little as they could in arming him. When his equipment was complete, there remained nothing but to lower the bridge and let him go. They lowered it for him, and he went out, but the lion would by no means stay behind. All those who were left behind commended the knight to the Saviour, for they fear exceedingly lest their devilish enemy, who already had slain so many good men on the same field before their eyes, would do the same with him. So they pray God to defend him from death, and return him to them safe and sound, and that he may give him strength to slay the giant. Each one softly prays to God in accordance with his wish. And the giant fiercely came at him, and with threatening words, thus spoke to him. By my eyes, the man who sent thee here surely had no love for thee. No better way could he have taken to avenge himself on thee. He has chosen well his vengeance for whatever wrong thou hast done to him. But the other, fearing not, replies, thou treatest of what matters not. Now do thy best, and I'll do mine. Idle parley wearies me. Thereupon my lord Yvain, who was anxious to depart, rides at him. He goes to strike him on the breast, which was protected by a bear's skin, and the giant runs at him with his stake raised in the air. My lord Yvain deals him such a blow upon the chest that he thrusts through the skin and wets the tip of his lance in his body's blood by way of sauce and the giant belabors him with the stake and makes him bend beneath the blows my lord Yvain then draws the sword with which he knew how to deal fierce blows he found the giant unprotected for he trusted in his strength so much that he disdained to arm himself And he who had drawn his blade gave him such a slash with the cutting edge and not with the flat side that he cut from his cheek a slice fit to roast. Then the other in turn gave him such a blow with the stake that it made him sink in a heap upon his horse's neck. Thereupon the lion bristles up Ready to lend his master aid, and leaps up in his anger and strength, and strikes and tears like so much bark the heavy bearskin the giant wore. And he tore away beneath the skin a large piece of his thigh, together with the nerves and flesh. The giant escaped his clutches, roaring and bellowing like a bull, for the lion had badly wounded him. Then, raising his stake in both hands, he thought to strike him. But missed his aim, when the lion leapt backwards, so he missed his blow and fell exhausted beside my lord Yvain. But without either of them touching the other, then my lord Yvain took aim and landed two blows on him. Before he could recover himself, he had severed with the edge of his sword the giant's shoulder from his body. With the next blow, he ran the whole blade of his sword through his liver beneath his chest. The giant falls in death's embrace, and if a great oak tree should fall, I think it would make no greater noise than the giant made when he tumbled down. All those who are on the wall would fain have witnessed such a blow. Then it became evident who was the most fleet of foot, for all ran to see the game, just like hounds which have followed the beast until they finally come up with him. So men and women in rivalry ran forward without delay to where the giant lay face downward. The daughter comes running and her mother too, and the four brothers rejoice after the woes they have endured. As for my lord Yvain, they are very sure that they could not detain him for any reason they might allege, but they beseech him to return and stay to enjoy himself as soon as he shall have completed the business which calls him away. And he replies that he cannot promise them anything, for as yet he cannot guess whether it will fare well or ill with him. But thus much did he say to his host, that he wished that his four sons and daughter should take the dwarf and go to my lord Gawain when they hear of his return, and should tell and relate to him how he has conducted himself for kind actions are of no use if you are not willing that they be known. End of chapter 12